Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back to the Wellness Wonderland Radio, everybody. I am super excited because the one and only Joe Cross is in Wonderland today. He is the man behind the wildly successful documentary film, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, where he chronicles a radical life change that he makes. So, I love this movie. You guys have seen me talk about it time and time again in Wonderland, but if you have been living under a rock and you haven't seen it, let me give you a brief little trailer. So, it begins with Joe, who's 100 pounds overweight, loaded on prescription meds, and suffering from a debilitating autoimmune disease. And Joe is at the end of the rope here. And so doctors and conventional medicine are unable to help him long term. So he turns to the only option left, which is his body's ability to naturally heal itself. So he shows him trading in his junk food and hitting the road with a juicer and a film crew and juicing fresh fruits and vegetables for 60 days. So I'll let you watch the movie to see what happens. It's full of twists and turns and some really awesome characters that even Joe himself wasn't expecting in the film. So Joe's passion for health and self-healing is infectious. He definitely lives in his version of the Wellness Wonderland. So it's a pleasure to get to know him. And I've actually gotten to meet him twice in person. And he's completely genuine, so authentic. And I'm really, really happy to be hanging out with you today, Joe. Thanks for being here. Katie, what a beautiful, wonderful introduction, and I just want to say thank you for that. It's great to be here in the Wonderland. I love being in Wonderland. Wellness Wonderland, what a name. Love it. Awesome, awesome. All right, so so let's dive in. So everyone knows your story if they've watched the film, right? And so I want to go a little bit deeper and get right into the questions that I know people have for you and the questions that I have for you. So... Let's talk a little bit about juicing and the benefits of juicing when you're sustaining a healthy lifestyle. And would you recommend juice cleansing to stay at a high level of optimal health when you are just in the sustaining period? I think the answer to that is a yes, but with some caveats. I think that at the end of the day, what we're all about trying to do when we're talking about sustaining the momentum when you've got back to some kind of balance, we need to make sure that we're getting lots of plant food into our system. I like to think of the journey of plant food is going from one big circle in the sky, which we call the sun, to little trillions of circles in our bodies, which are called the cells. And that's really the job of us when it comes to staying alive and surviving is to work out the most efficient way to get the energy that's generated by the sun, by the soil, by the atmosphere and by the water that is collected and basically deposited into our plants, our fruits, our vegetables, our nuts, our beans, and our seeds. And to get that into our body, whether we eat it, whether we blend it, or whether we juice it, that's our job. And so each of us are very different. And for some people, juicing is a fabulous way to amp up the volume of phytonutrients, micronutrients, zoochemicals, particular vitamins and minerals and acids and all sorts and types of different micronutrients to get them into our bodies so that our cells can function properly as they're supposed to. So, you know, if you're if you're talking to someone who's eating a tremendous amount of plant food, Katie, and they're just really 
just living only on plants, then maybe for them, they're not going to get as much of a benefit from juicing, say, as somebody who's kind of a bit more in the normal range of, uh, of what the average person in the, in the, in the Western world eats. And uh, so it's, it's different for everybody, but as a general rule of thumb, I think the answer to that question is a big yes. For sure. So with that, just to go a little bit deeper here, so how often would you recommend rebooting or juice cleansing when your health is at an optimal level, but you is that something that someone should do, completely fasting? Oh, yeah, so, so here's how I look at it. I like to think that we kind of are our best advisors, our best medical practitioners, our best healthcare providers. Each and every one of us know our body better than anyone else does. And our history on this planet, our ancestors have had this long journey and long relationship with Mother Nature, where sometimes she gave us plenty and other times she didn't give us much at all. And we had feast and famine. So the real question you're asking me is when you talk about a reboot or a juice cleanse is how often should we go through periods of famine? That's really the question. Now, I think it's like pretty safe to do one per year. That kind of makes sense to me when you talk about one per year. If you said 12 per year, I kind of think, well, that's probably a bit ridiculous and a bit too much. So is there somewhere between 1 and 12 that you can land on where you kind of go, here's, about, here's a rule of thumb where you don't want to push beyond? You know, when I finished making the movie, I was doing four per year, and I found that a little bit too much. These days, I'm down to one every four months, and generally for five, 10, 15 days maximum. And I find that works for me. So I've altered that. And maybe when you speak to me in a year or two years' time, you know, three a year is probably, it could be something that I've found is too much. So I'm experimenting, but I'm just using my own instincts and, uh, and trying to keep in touch with my own body. The, the thing I like about the reboot, which is essentially a period of time where you either eat fruits and vegetables, blend them or juice them, and then there's the juice-only reboot, which a lot of people call a juice cleanse. I try to tend to stay away from words like cleanse and detox because I think your body's doing it all the time. But the thing about those is is that, to me, they're, they're more about a mental balance than a physical balance these days. I, I find that the mental clarity, the the ability to reset lots of emotional uh, conditions are, are, are probably more important to me now than it is about uh, the, the physical. Because from a physical point of view, I think I'm doing pretty good in between my reboots. So it's more mental now, which mm. is exciting. That's, I love that piece of it. I love the piece about the feast and famine and that it's natural to go through these periods. And then I, I also love that. It's like, you know, when you first did it, it wasn't about the mental. It was more about the physical. But now that you come into your wellness wonderland, shall we call it, it's, it can kind of take it to this next level where it becomes more of the mental. And I think that that's, that's really cool for a lot of the people listening who are further along on their health journey and want to take things to a next level, that that mental piece is is really cool thing to focus on. Yeah, well, when you when you go into a famine period, essentially your body is going into this state of um, survival and awareness, and so the the brain really does kick into a, a mode of of like heightening all senses and clarity and focus and eyesight and hearing and smell and touch. So unless you've gone and done a reboot that I call it or a famine, which is probably the more, the more correct term, uh, you know, you really don't know what it's like to be a human being. You haven't lived. You haven't lived, yeah. Katie. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. I guess you, you started to touch on that there with our senses getting – 
heightened and all of that, but you, you talk about this in your talks a bit um, about that that first three days and once you get over that three-day hump. Could you go in a little bit deeper there just to kind of get everybody on the same page with what you mean there? Sure. If you think about survival, which is what you know, you and I right now, we're doing a really good job of surviving. Right now, we're both alive, which means we're essentially converting energy at a cellular level that's keeping us conscious. And, you know, no doubt sometime in the last one minute or two minutes, you've breathed there. Sometime in the last two or three days, you've drunk water. And sometime in the last month, you've eaten food. Because if you hadn't done one of those three things, you may not be with us. Now, some people can go a lot longer than a month, but I've met you, Katie, and I know how lean you are. So maybe a month to two months might be your limit. I'd actually probably give you three months, to be honest, because I think most people can go a lot longer without food than they know. But the reality here is that what keeps you eating, what keeps you drinking, and what keeps you breathing are instincts. And first, for example, is a great a survival mechanism that makes us drink. If you didn't have thirst, you wouldn't drink and you could possibly die. So we have thirst, which makes us drink, which keeps us alive. Hunger is the primary reason we eat. And so if you don't eat, if you were to say after this interview, stop eating for 24 or 48 hours, you would go through some discomfort, some pain, some, some serious withdrawals. And your body would not be happy because your body's now getting a little bit worried that you haven't put any food in. So it's going to make life a bit miserable for you, Katie. And it's going to like trying to protect you by making, hey, you know, Katie's forgotten about our cells down here. We're going to give her a headache. We're going to make her discomfort. We're going to take away focus. We're going to, we're going to make life pretty miserable for Katie because we want her to eat. And that's what plan A is all about. Plan A is this idea of hunger to ensure that humans eat. And it's a good thing that we've had that for all these generations of humans because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have survived to become the most successful species on this planet. And so then, if you take that into consideration and then push, push forward, what happens after three or four days where this doesn't work? Like if the body keeps making life miserable and angry and tired and short-tempered and irritable and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If after three or four days, the body hasn't gotten any food, it kind of says, well, you know what? Plan A isn't working. We've got to switch to plan B. And plan B is a complete reverse of all that. Plan B is kind of like the body saying, you know what? We've tried to make Katie eat. We've done everything we can. Obviously, the surroundings outside of Katie have changed. Maybe she is back on the savannah and there is a famine. So... Why don't we turn off hunger? Why don't we give Katie more energy so she can get out onto the, the field, walk 20 miles and perhaps find an apple tree or find some bananas or find some root vegetables, or get, get a you know, piece of animal? Who knows? But the bottom line is, is that your eyesight, your hearing, your sense of smell, your touch, your energy levels, your focus, because you're now into what's called plan B, what I call plan B, which is hunger off and survival state, that's the part where where I love to go to when I'm doing a reboot. And of course, once your reboot is over and you introduce solid food again with the uh, beautiful fiber that's attached to most of the plants, that fiber going into, in order to break that down and extract the nutrients out, the enzymes that are generated and created from your body, that's what signals to the brain that plan B worked food was found and let's revert back to plan A. So hunger will return. Nice. And thank you for going through that. So a couple questions I have coming up for you. So getting over that three day, sometimes four day, right? Hump of plan A. So when mission control is giving you all those things that, you know, don't feel so great. When you know you're going to do those four times time a year juice cleanse or not reboots, right? If you're going to do those times, how do you like 
not psych yourself up, but what kinds of things do you plan in your days knowing that you're going to have some of those signs and signals? And how do you how do you get yourself to do it when you know you're going to have to get through that initial hump to get to the good stuff? Yes. Yeah, so I've got a couple of tips and I put them in my new book, which is to prepare yourself beforehand by basically weaning yourself off a lot of the processed food, a lot of the sugars, fats, salts, the caffeines, and amping up the amount of plant food in the diet. So you go through a little bit of the withdrawals from the food um, types first, and then it's a little bit easier once you step into the juice-only world. The other thing you can do, which I do, is I organize myself so that I know that I'm going to be able to get lots of sleep and rest because I'm preparing myself for the for the lack of energy. I also like to pamper myself, so I might organize a, um, a facial or a massage or just go down to the local, you know, $10 massage place for 20 minutes and get the feet rubbed or do something that's around the dinner time where you're going to be in a relaxing space you could even go and do a yoga class or a meditation class or do something that puts you in a in a position where you're not surrounded by the food or by people eating or, or and you're being looked after. In the summertime, I find it easier than the wintertime, not only because of the temperature change in your body, because you will get you will feel the cold more um, during the, 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 the reboot. But in the summertime I find it, you know, great to be able to just walk on the beach at sunset and go out there and 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 just experience nature. It's a, it's it's also a great feeling as well. Nice. Well, that sounds lovely. It it sounds very different than just talking about Plan A physically when you kind of put in that practical how to do this in actual society. It makes it sound oh, that's kind of nice. You're just it's like when you're sick. You know, I. I I got sick recently and I wrote a blog post about this and it, it was a really awesome experience because it allowed me to, just like, you know, when you're, when you're on a reboot, same thing, really tune into the body and say, all right, what's my body telling me? I'm going to actually listen and, um, and it's a really great experience. So I, I'm glad that we went there. Yeah. No, I think it's, um, I think what, I think, I think what we're talking about here is being conscious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a consciousness of understanding why we feel the way we feel. Yeah. Whether we're in a reboot, whether we're sick, whether we're angry, whether we're happy. Just having that consciousness to realize that we are in the moment of this pain, of this suffering, of this joy, of this elation, and to realize that it can make the landing or the getting back up off the ground and dusting yourself off and getting back on the bike, so to speak, it can make it easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's bravery to feel your feelings. Sometimes it's, you know, we, we don't want to feel what we don't want to feel. So we eat over it or we drink over it or whatever it is for people, or we, you know, watch TV over it. But it's like, do you want to have a real experience in this life? Do you want to feel, you know, the, the richness of life? Like this is, going there you know and I think um I think it can be a really meditative experience that everyone should try I think about it as a time machine yeah I think you know when you do a reboot you really are going back in time going back to how our ancestors existed on this planet we've just become incredibly efficient with the uh the feasting and the energy it's everywhere now it's, it's on every corner Mm-hmm. The idea of famines coming to Detroit, to L.A., to New York, to Houston, to Dallas, to Seattle, it ain't happening. No, the complex mechanisms of the food supply, the processed food is here to stay. I don't look at processed food as the enemy. I love this. I think, I, I think the the enemy is within. It's us. And the enemy that we have to be careful of is the ignorance of plant food. It's the abstinence of it. Yeah. What we need to do 
is we need to work out ways, fun ways, exciting ways, interesting ways, that we can get more plant food into our body. And I said this the other day in the talk, I mean, there's only really three ways to get it into your body, and that's eat it, blend it, or juice it. And for me, I like doing all three, but I have kind of a preference to the juicing one because some of the veggies, I just don't like the taste of them. I actually don't like eating cucumber, but I love juicing it. So, go yeah. figure. It's funny. It's it's like surreal to be talking to you right now because, you know, when I first started this podcast, I'd actually just heard you speak in Detroit for the first time and, and you you started to touch on it right here, but you said something that really, really hit home for me and I mentioned it to almost, in almost every podcast I did for at least the first like 10 or 11 episodes, but it was the fact that, you know, every time you buy something, you're voting. And you said that, you know, McDonald's could be our best friend if we yeah. all went in there and requested them to have green juice on the menu. If we all did that, it would happen, no doubt. And um, so could you could you go there a little bit and talk about that? Sure. I, I have a saying that, that people are really smart. Yeah. But crowds are dumb. And when you think about that, to me, people sort of say to me, Joe, how can you look at McDonald's and KFC and Pizza Hut and all of these national brands that we have all known, their they're household names, and they've developed and created an incredible distribution system and network and platform around the world. I don't have the numbers on me now, but I think that Yum! Brands that owns KFC and Pizza Hut, no, those those brands. I think that it's between them and McDonald's for the most numbers of restaurants globally. And we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of locations. So my, my statement was a pretty simple one, is that I don't look at them as the enemy. I actually look at them as my future best friends because they are in the business of returning shareholder profits. They're in the business of taking capital from shareholders and trying to return on that investment. That's what they do. That's, their, that's the job of those CEOs, their board of directors. If they're not doing that, they're all out of a job. So we are the demand. We the people. If 30 million people walked into a McDonald's tomorrow and said, I want the mean green juice, and they did it the next day and the next day and the next day, what do you think McDonald's would be selling in 10 days' time? It'd be on the menu and it'd be a whole lot more convenient for me. <laughs> That's right. It'd be there. So the question really is, it's up to us to vote certain things off the menu yep. and for us, the people, to vote other things on the menu. This country that I'm lucky enough to spend a lot of my time in is built on the basis of supply and demand on a capitalistic um, philosophy. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that's not the point. That's the reality. That's what it is. If you don't like it, there's always planes leaving every day for other countries. <laughs> but that's what it's. That's how it rolls. That's how it works. Supply and demand. And the thing that we are as a crowd, which is why I say people are smart and crowds are dumb. As a crowd, we're not really. We haven't got our act together. As a crowd, we're voting stuff in to stores that don't have lots of nutrition inside. They have very high in energy and very low in nutrient value when it comes to the micronutrient world. And it's very, very, very um, disappointing. Not, not for you and I, Katie. It's not disappointing to us. It's actually disappointing to the cells inside everybody's body because they're the ones that ultimately are disappointed when the processed food hits. They're the ones that are only getting half the order. They're getting their macronutrients. They're getting their salt, sugar, fat, carbohydrate, protein, salt. They're getting the macro, which is the fuel. They're just not getting the micro, the phytochemicals, the vitamins and minerals, which is essentially the information that our cells need to function properly. And that's a, you know, that's a big thing for people to get their head around. But once they understand that, that, you know, Vitamin C, vitamin K is not energy. It doesn't help you run. What it does is it keeps the cells 
in place so that when you build muscle, they help you build the right muscle, have the muscles function right so that when you run, everything works. And that's the part that we're lacking. We, um, you know, for millions of years when we got hungry, we couldn't mess the order up. We could only get macro or micronutrients in. Last 50, 60 years, we can mess the order up now. We can only just live on processed food and that's why our cells, for many, many of us, are, um, are starving and why about 70% of us overeat because the body's just trying to protect itself by trying to seek out and find micronutrients. Yeah, yeah. I think, first of all, I loved that about, um, you know, seeing how you can take something and find the good in it, which I love. And then, and then also, I mean, I think, you know, you, you said it right there. There's people are you've said it, I think you've definitely said in the movie, you know, people are actually starving for these micronutrients. They're nutritionally so deficient. And then there's also, you know, the whole other piece of the emotional side of things. And as you spoke about before, you know, doing the reboot can really target both aspects of that. And I think that's super powerful. So, I guess, you know, I want to get back to a couple more specific questions on rebooting. So, cool. Far so, away. All right, all right. We'll bust through these questions. So last night I was um, – I'm actually home for the weekend and um, spending some time with my family. And I, you know, I was telling my mom, I was like, yeah, I'm interviewing Joe tomorrow. And she was psyched. She loves the movie. It really opened her – up right, it really opened her mind. It's one thing to hear it from her daughter, but it's it's another thing to hear this information from from you, and you presented in such an amazing way. So I asked her, you know, what would you ask Joe Cross if you could ask him anything in the world? And and she got so excited without hesitation. She said, "What are the differences between men and women when it comes to rebooting, and if you have any experience or information on that?" Sure. So, <clears throat> good question. What I have found... Thanks, Mom. <laughs> good question. First of all, most of my audience is um, skews female. I would say that my audience is probably about 70% female, 30% male. And I think that says something there that, generally speaking, women are much more interested in their health and their longevity than men. You know, if you look at the data... I think in the US, the average the average woman's life expectancy is about 81 and a half and male is about 79 and a half. But if you're a male living by yourself and not in a relationship, it's um, 68, 69, which is incredible when you think about it. Yeah. It's a full 11 years younger than a male living in a committed relationship. And they think the reason for that is that... Uh, when men get sick, they don't go to the doctor. But when there's someone, a loved one, looking after them, they make the appointment and they make them go. So to all those men that are listening out there, nagging works. Keeps us alive longer. Now, when it comes to the actual reboot part, when you're actually doing the juicing part, I've noticed that men lose weight quicker than women. Yep, yep. I've noticed that men will burn more fat and less muscle, whereas women will will do roughly about 60% of their weight loss is generally considered as fat and 40% is, is, is muscle, whereas men it's about 70% fat, 30% muscle. I've observed that. I've observed, though, that, that um, women tend to be able to uh, do this better in groups, which gives them a chance of success more. Men tend to sort of do it on their own or with one other, whereas women are much more suited to the group, which I think is great. I think when it comes to some of the other difficulties that a lot of the women that I've come in contact with have is that many of them are the nutritional gatekeepers of the family and therefore have to prepare the meal at night. And so it's harder for them with their kids because they're trying to do a reboot, but they've got to make the food, and that's an, a, a bigger challenge. So I think they're some of the observations that I've noticed. But the once, one thing I do know is that once both, either male or female, get past the 10-day uh, the period, they tend to both 
have as sort of an equal amount of success because once you've got into that level, you do kick into an overdrive where it's a lot easier to maintain. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for going over that. I think the one thing that from there hearing that statistic or that, that piece of information that you said about men tend to be able to lose the weight quickly and a bit easy, easier, which is kind of, you know, a known fact. And, you know, I know my mom and I know that hearing that would, is kind of something, and for a lot of people probably, that can discourage women and say, you know, oh, no, how do you take that piece of information and not let it discourage you and understand it and use it to your advantage? Yeah, and I'd, and I'd say, why does that matter? Why does it matter what is going on in someone else's ecosystem that is completely divorced, irrelevant, has nothing to do with your general well-being. See, to me, this is not about weight loss. This is about nutrient deficiency. This is about increasing the nutrients. I think that anyone who attempts a reboot and it's all about weight loss, I don't know if they're going to be as successful as those people who go into it saying, I really want to get my body as healthy and strong as I possibly can. Yes. So yeah. for each of us, there's really only two ecosystems we need to worry about. The one inside our body and the one that we connect with in, on our planet. So the one that we can all share the concern about is the, the ecosystem of our atmosphere and our gardens and our, you know, our own planet, so to speak. But the one that's the personal responsibility, the one that we need to focus on and, you know, I mean, Katie, I love you, but you know what? What you're doing inside your body, I can't control. Right. It's, not my, it's not my game. What you're doing, I love the fact that you're looking after yourself and it's great to see people like you as an example and that helps me. But at the end of the day, the circle of my influence and the circle of my concern does not, does not intersect at what you're doing in your body. It intersects at what I'm doing on mine. And so for me and for people like your mum and for anyone else out there, I think it's about an internal look at themselves and to imagine that their trillions and trillions of cells are staring up at them with big brown eyes, big blue eyes, saying, please, please give me some micronutrients. Mm. And, you know, once you give those micronutrients to the cells, they get all excited, they do cartwheels, they all start doing push-ups, they start getting their mojo back, and happy cells means a happy self. Yeah, so good. I mean, honestly, the analogy that you give about, you know, our mind being up in mission control and controlling our bodies, it, it was really a big shift for me. And, and I think, I love what you said there, just letting go of comparison, you know, in general life. I mean, it's, comparison is the thief of joy. So I think, you know, when it comes to anything that you're doing, that's just a good principle. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Love that. Comparison, yeah. the thief of joy. Yeah, it's a good one. I like so, that. So now I want to get personal with you a bit and find out about the Joe behind Joe Cross, who's up in your mission control, I guess. So, um, all right, I want to know, can you talk about a little bit about life since the movie came out and um, some of the best stories and things that have happened kind of, you know, in your life since that? So, you know, my life has changed <clears throat> I think, there's, I think it's changed in two ways. <clears throat> First of all, I don't get sick. So that's a huge plus. Um, you know, to not to go from taking lots of medication, no matter how good my day was or how bad it was, every morning and every night, to now not having to take pills, to being, you know, I'm 47, soon to be 48, and I feel better, I look better, I'm stronger, I know I'm healthier than I was when I was 38, and I like that. And, you know, I have aspirations and dreams of being in better shape when I'm 58 than I am now, because I've still got work to do. I'm not perfect. So, and I, I look at myself as a work in progress. So that's the, the aspect of 
the internal happiness and joy that what I'm doing is working. And so I do celebrate that a lot, the fact that I'm not taking meds. So I, that, that, that's a big part of my happiness because for so long it contributed to my unhappiness. Yeah. Then on the other side of the coin, I have to remember like that when I'm walking through airports and I'm talking on my phone that people now are coming up to me, random strangers, and instead of like in the old days where people come and ask directions, they're now coming up and asking for a photo. And I have to stop and like think because I forget that I'm now um, somebody that, that people would know. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of weird because I don't think about it a lot. So that's kind of funny when that happens and I have to remind myself. Um, equally, there's a certain responsibility that comes with that. So... I'm really conscious of being polite and not showing frustration in public. Like sometimes I can get frustrated in long lines, you know, at the airport when people are taking too long to unpack their their luggage or something to put onto the security belt, you know, and I huff and puff. I've now got to calm down because, you know, that might be someone who saw the movie and is inspired and that, and here am I getting all frustrated about 10 mm -hmm. seconds worth of, you know, time. So... I, I find it's helped me in that way, just in general life, just to be a little bit calmer and not, you know, stop and smell the roses. Yeah. Um, I think that that it, it, people talk about the fact that I inspire people, and that may be true, but I think what people don't realise is that they inspire me. Mm. That, that to wake up in the morning and have my Twitter feed, my Facebook messages. I mean, I get hundreds of messages a day from all over the world because, you know, at least five or 10,000 people watch this movie every day anywhere in the world. So and, cool. You know, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And so when you, when you think about that, you just get like 1% writing an email. That's like 50 to 100 people, and I'm getting that a day. And... You know, it it's a lot of work to catch up. I read most of them. I mean, I I'm pretty good at reading all of them. I just can't respond to all of them. But I hear a lot of pain. I hear a lot of joy. And I'm I'm blessed to be on this side of the of the table. I, I just actually wish that that people could just spend a day in my shoes just to see what can be done on the other side and how it feels. Because there's no greater way to learn than to teach, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I I love that, and I couldn't agree more. And you know, I, I have to say, just so so people really understand, you know, I've had the privilege of of getting to talk to you, and and you are a public figure. You are so well known. You know, I'm I'm all nervous to talk to you because I look up to you so much. And and then here you are, and you know, we get on the phone, and you're asking all about me, and you're just such a down to earth, kind person. And I think that. It, that wasn't a shock to me, and it's not going to be a shock to anyone listening to this, but, you know, it really does go a long way to, for people to hear that, to say, you know, these people that they look up to not only are just as amazing and kind and genuinely down-to-earth people, but also, you know, you're a human, and, and you do get frustrated in the in the airport line, and, and you travel a lot, and and you check yourself and, and you go on. And I think, you know, that relatability that you have is so magnetizing to all the people that you communicate with. Oh, thank you, Katie. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think, I think at the end of the day, I think that I'm lucky in that I'm not a skinny doctor on TV that's always been skinny. I'm not a skinny chef from other parts of the world that, you know, come over and tell people what to do. Right. And do and do. I'm actually somebody that has been, you know, 320 pounds. I'm somebody who's been on medication every day. I've been fat. I've been sick. I actually understand what it's like to be in that position. I understand what it's like every day to want to eat 10 bars of chocolate, to <laughs> want to have two hamburgers for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. You know, I understand it. I. I I sympathize with it. And yeah. as I said, some days are better than others for me. Some days I'm really, really good. Other days it gets the better of me. But I don't beat myself up. I say, well, you know what? 
I've got the tools, I know I've got the information, I've got the consciousness. Why was it today? What was stressful about today that that made me turn that way and go to sugar, which is what, like my my stressor? And I think about it and I say, you know what, next time that happens, I'm going to try and be better. And I'm going to try instead of going to a chocolate bar, I'm going to try and maybe find a juice bar and go and have a cacao maca smoothie. And the yeah. good news is I'm getting better at that. And that's that's the work in progress. And so the more I'm aware of it, the more I try, the more I admit that I'm not as good as I should be and keep myself on the ground, the better I go. So I think that for, for people out there that I meet and that I listen, I think that the, the best thing I can do is to share my pain and my suffering and my success with them because then they can relate to that. And it's, it's, not, it's not something that is unachievable because I, I believe that there are so many other people out there that, that are um, better examples of what to do than me, yet I think it's in the delivery of how you share the information, which is the effective way. Yes, yeah. All people want from you is your authentic truth. And, and that's a perfect segue to the next thing that I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, you're such an amazing speaker. And, you know, if anyone can see you live, I highly suggest they do so. And, you know, you're, you're traveling around. So with that, I would love to know, have you always been a great public speaker? How did you develop your craft? And if you could share any pre-speech rituals and um, any advice for speaking and, and giving a keynote. So I, I don't know if I was always a public speaker because I didn't do a lot of it. I, I know that I used to get nervous talking in front of people. Sometimes I, I get a few butterflies, but generally the way I manage the butterflies is that I try to... I try to just think that these people have given up a lot of their time to come see you. They've, they've actually given hours sometimes and have driven long, a long way. So for me, it's like I think about that and I say, all right, take a few deep breaths, calm down and just talk to them as opposed to do a speech or do a delivery. It's actually I'm talking to them. What are they going to be interested in hearing? I was always somebody that could tell a joke. I was always someone around the, the table that liked telling a story. And I think that I think if people are going to get up and, and, and share a story or talk to people, I think that it's, it's important to you – know, not everybody can do it, and I appreciate that. It's not a skill that everybody has. I guess I'm just lucky that I can. I really try to think about not talking at the people or not talking to them in that respect. I try to say that I'm like talking with them. I'm trying to share things and not preaching and trying to position it from this is the way that I see things and you don't have to agree with me, but this is just what I do and this is how I'm doing it. And I think that that can resonate well with people because – I always ask this question when I've got the crowds. I mean, put your hand up if you love being told what to do. And, of course, no hands go up. But when I ask, put your hand up if you love telling people what to do, all the hands go up. Yeah. So you have this situation in the world today where everyone's great at giving advice and not too many people are great at taking it. So I don't think people want to come and sit there and listen to me be a sergeant major and bark out the orders. So you've got to stay away from that as far and as, as much as possible and leave the storytelling to try and somehow capture people's imaginations. And so I think the power of analogies, the power of painting a picture, the timing, the delivery, having humour, all of those things, if you can bring all that to your repertoire of, of uh, of public speaking, then you're kind of 90% of the way there. And then it's just about execution and delivery. Mm, so good. So do you have any pre 
show rituals, anything you do before you go out and give a talk? Um, I kind of like just to get the first three minutes of what I'm going to say and how I'm going to start. Just a, a couple of points that I want to hit because I, I do everything off, off the cuff. I don't, yeah. I don't have notes. And as long as I can get the first two or three minutes out, I'm good. Sometimes I have these out-of-body experiences where I completely forget where I'm up to because I'm, my mind can wonder if I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes that can happen. But when that happens, I think people like to like to be told the truth. And I actually I say, actually, I forgot what I was just saying. Can someone tell me what I was saying? And then the crowd laughs and they tell you, oh, yeah, okay, I'm up to that part. All right. And, and you kick on rather than rather than try and freeze and, and cover it up, you know? Mm, yeah, so it's all about authenticity. I love that. I think vulnerability is good as well. Yeah, yeah, but for sure. As my grandmother used to say, Katie, the shortest distance between two people is a smile. Mm. So one thing I like to do a lot of when I'm up there is smile. And if you smile at people, you'll be surprised how many people smile back. Mm, love that, love that. So... With that, you are speaking a lot right now because you are on your book tour. You have a new book out. And I would love if you could talk a little bit about the book and some of the benefits people will find from it. Yeah, the reboot with Joe Juice is now out and about. And what I've done here is probably something I should have put out like when the movie came out two years ago, but I forgot. <laughs> I was it's busy. a big job, yeah. And what this does is this, at the moment, all the information I have today on how to prepare, why, what to do, how to come off, the recipes, the plans. I've, I've put it as much in there as I possibly can. It's the A to Z of what to do, how to do it, why to do it. And it seems to be doing well. I mean, we've sold a bunch. Lots of crowds are turning up. People are, you know, because of the power of social media, of course, if people don't like it, they'll let you know. And right. The good news is I'm getting lots of good feedback, so I'm excited about that, and I'm already already looking towards the next one now because that's what happens when you get one done. You can't stop. You've got to keep going. Just like new movie coming out in September, it's very it's a you've you got to feed the feed the audience. You know, you've got to you've got to keep give keep the people what up. they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right now they're voting for it, and I'm honoured and yes. blessed and humble. So I've got to produce more content, and that's what I'm working on. Amazing, amazing. Well, I can't wait for everything that you produce. So let's wrap up with some quick-fire questions. You up for it? You bet. All right, here we go. So just say, like, the first thing that comes to your mind. Some are longer, some are shorter. So favorite color? Blue. Favorite place you've ever traveled to? Tahiti. Favorite day of the week? Friday. Favorite hour of the day? 11 p.m. Favorite juice blend you've ever had or made? Has to be the mean green. Cucumber, celery, ginger, lemon, apple, and kale. Yum. Favorite veggie? To eat, I guess. Hmm. Eggplant. Favorite fruit? Pear. Favorite on-the-go snack? Truthfully, chocolate. <laughs> what is the best meal you've eaten recently? Mmm. There's a lovely little sushi place in Los Angeles that um, when I was here a week ago, I went across by myself. It's called Kiri La, and um, I got the chef. The sushi chef, I, it was a lunchtime meal. I said, just give me 12 pieces of sushi that are your best, that whatever you want. And so I had 12 pieces of sushi that were just to die for. Nice. Were they all different? Oh, yeah. Everyone was different. Oh, super. That's fun. I didn't know what was coming, so that was more exciting. Yeah, taste, for sure. Taste buds were dancing. Right on, right on. So um, do you tend to be more introverted or extroverted by nature, even though you're a public figure? More extroverted. Nice. Where would you like to see the world in terms of holistic health and wellness and food and our food system in, say, 10 years? 
Well, I know it's going to be different, and I am optimistic. I guess that I'd like to see it further along from where I actually see it. But I, I think that these things take time, and so I'm patient. I think that I, I think if you had to sort of put it down into a into a quick short bite answer, I'd say that I would like people the, the consciousness of the Western world in ten years' time to really be looking back and sort of saying, "Wow, how did we put these commercials on on Saturday mornings when cartoons were on ten, fifteen, twenty years ago to kids? How did we let that happen?" I'd like that kind of a thinking to be happening. In yes. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that so much. It's funny. Um, another guest we had on the show, Sean Stevenson said, you know, I, I hope when you're, when you're looking back at, at bagels, people are going to be like, you know, you're going to need a license to buy that stuff. And it's going to be like, Hey man, you got that bagel. And I think that's just so funny. It's the, some of these things that are just so mainstream are, are really so damaging for our health. And a lot of people don't even know. So love that answer. So for you, if you could have any superhero power for a day, what would you have? Invisible. Nice. What is the best lesson you've learned recently? The truth will set you free. Mm, nice. What is your favorite movie? <laughs> oh, my favorite movie. Hmm. I would say that if I had to pin it down to one, I'd say the Shawshank Redemption. Nice. Well, mine is fat, sick, and nearly dead. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you, Katie. <laughs> Favorite I, book? Favorite book? I, um, that kind of changes with me, but I guess... I love Vince Flynn. He writes about a, a fictitious character called Mitch Rapp. And Mitch Rapp is a, uh, works for the CIA. And he's out to get the bad guys. And I like those kind of books. So I'll, I'll, for the moment, I'll say anything written by Vince Flynn. And sadly, he was my age and he passed away last year of cancer. So oh, I read the books these days. I kind of just think about his words coming through and being my age and dying of cancer, it kind of brings it home. So I'd say at the moment, anything Vince Flynn. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great story. So what are you doing in your life that you are scared of but you're doing anyways? How are you challenging yourself? What am I doing that I'm scared of? Um, it's a deep one. <laughs> I would say that I think that I am taking some big risks with, um, you know, I've got a TV show which I'm working on right now. Nice. Where um, I've got to take some big risks financially and personally with brand and with money. And um, I've never done a TV show before and it's going to be six weeks of filming over the summer. And uh, that's going to be a big crew, and that's not like documentary where you go out and you just shoot stuff, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. This is stuff that you have to capture, and you have three days per episode, and there's 42 shoot days, and you're on a schedule, and you're all over America. And I've got to, like, be on game, and I've never done this, and I'm spending a lot of money to make it happen. And so I think that at the moment, if you said to me, what is it at the moment that I'm doing, I'd say it would be that is what I would be scared of the most. I mean, I'm pretty confident I'll pull it off, but I'm still letting you know that I'm scared. Nice. I mean, I think it's really cool that that you're letting us know, and I have no doubt you're going to not only pull it off, but it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Thank so, you, Kate. So last question for you, and I ask this to, to everyone who comes on the show. So – as you know, the name of my blog and the name of this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? A wellness wonderland to me is, I think I'd need a few tools or a few things at my disposal. I'd need a routine. I would need community. 
I would need access to plants and Mother Nature. I would need access to fresh air. I'd need access to fresh water. I would need a comfortable place to put my head down at night. I need to be able to keep warm in winter and keep cool in summer. I need some hills to walk up and down. Um, I would need uh, things to read, things to watch. I'd need to be connected to technology personally because I'd probably go mad if I didn't. But then I could do without with it, do without it for a little bit. Uh, and um, I'd need a few laughs. That'd do me. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I love that you said routine. I think that that's such an important thing. You know, thinking about your mornings um, and how you start your day, are there any specifics to your morning routine that affects how the rest of your day goes? Yeah, well, I, I like to think of myself as a hunter-gatherer waking up in the morning because I think that you've had 10 hours, 12 hours of no food in the body. So if you can actually get your vegetables, your fruit into your body early, you're going to satiate the cells from not being hungry. So, for example, I mean, today, because it's a weekend, I will have a fresh juice and I'll have an egg white omelette with maybe seven or eight different vegetables in there. And because there's a bit more time on the weekend to, to indulge in that, but generally speaking, I'll have a juice or a smoothie. And then lunchtime, like my lunch yesterday was, was yesterday's, yesterday's a good example because yesterday was a, a breakfast of, of juice and smoothies because it was a work day. I had a lunch of a smoothie, a juice, and um, I had just plant-based uh, beans and avocado and, and, and some seeds and some veggies. I, I went to a, a vegan cafe in LA that I know very well. And then in the evening time, I had um, I had a green salad with some grilled chicken. So yesterday was one of those days where it's the perfect day for me, where I had everything that I wanted to have, like I was a hunter-gatherer in the morning and in the lunchtime, and then in the evening I was able to have some you know animal product for my protein that I wanted to get from animal. Um, now today, because it's a weekend, I'm having the omelette with vegetables and then I will go and have a similar lunch meal. And tonight I've got a birthday party here in LA, so I don't even know what's going to be served there, but I'll just, I'll just do my best. And if it's one of those nights, I might even have a ginger ale tonight because it's like a celebration night. So that would be an example where I might have a soft drink. I don't drink alcohol, but that would be like a special occasion. So, but I'm saving up, I'm saving up my chocolate ice cream day for the next Tuesday when I'm in London. Yeah. Because you talked about great, that, yeah. Yeah, there's a great ice cream bar. So I, the last time I had ice cream was about three weeks ago, and I'll have, I'll have some next week, and that'll be an exciting moment to go and have it. So I'll enjoy it then. Nice. I, I love, you know, we, we touched on this at the beginning, but just to bring it all full circle, I think, you know, that was such a great um, little glimpse into your life and the way that you live. And it, it's not about deprivation at all. It's about living to the fullest and it's about not denying things, but actually feeling things and feeling your feelings, but also enjoying and not just enjoying things to not have to feel your feelings. And I think that that's an amazing takeaway, like so many of the things you said. So thank you so much, Joe. And will you just let everyone know, we'll have all the links in the show notes, but where people can find you and your book? Sure. Um, the best place to find me is at rebootwithjoe.com. And at rebootwithjoe.com, you can click on the Twitter or the Facebook or everything else that's there. Find me that way. And my book, well, it's in Barnes & Noble. It's in Amazon, or on Amazon, I should say. If you're listening to this in Canada, it's in Chapters and Amazon. If you're listening in the UK, it's in lots of bookstores there. And in Australia, it's in Dimmicks and Big W and, yeah. Everywhere. I mean, we're trying to be everywhere. I go to Germany next week launching the movie in Germany. I'm speaking the nice. Deutsch because we've uh, got it subtitled. So that's going to be exciting to watch the movie in full subtitle. And uh, not subtitle. Wunderbar. Dubbed, dubbed, actually. So that'll be fun. Yeah, wunderbar. 
Well, this has been a blast. I'm so psyched that you came and hung out in Wonderland as you're touring the world. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to you for all of the work that you're doing in this world. So thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. It's been wonderful. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook, so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.